0: Hello and welcome to College Admissions with Mark and Anna. Each week we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how stressful this process can be, so each episode we try to make it easier to navigate. Now, here are your hosts, Anna Wren and Mark Hofer. Hi everybody and welcome to Mark and Anna's College Admissions Podcast. I'm Mark Hofer and I'm joined by my fearless co-host,
1: Anna Wren. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. I'm Mark
0: and today we're going to be talking about transfers as in college transfers when for one reason or another a student moves from one college to another and to talk about this situation we're going to be joined by Deborah Shames of Personal Best College Coaching. Hi Deborah. would you like to tell us a little bit about what you do?
2: Sure, absolutely. So I'm Deb Shames. Um, I am the founder of Personal Best College Coaching, and um, we are located in Northern New Jersey. And I have been doing the independent um, college counseling thing for about 18 years. Um, and prior to that, I was a high school counselor. And I work also with four-year. Um, <laughs> um, I work with. High school students who are going through the college process, having also ushered my own three three kids through it um, over the last few years. And I also work with a whole lot of transfer students um, in both my capacity as an independent educational consultant, as well as serving as the transfer admissions advisor for the Kaplan Leadership Program in New York, which works with low-income black and Latino community college students in New York City, helping them transfer to four-year schools. So yeah, I'm thrilled to be here, and um, I'm excited to talk to you guys about the transfer process. Thanks so
1: much for joining us today, Deb. We're really excited to talk to you because, you know, I you can tell me, actually, the first question is, do you feel like you've seen more students choose to transfer uh, after the pandemic? Because um, we feel like it's probably a very timely conversation to be having.
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I actually have seen... A definite spike in transfers and in later transfers this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the pandemic having had everyone uh, online basically last spring and many schools through the fall and into the spring has really led a lot of students to re-examine what they were looking for in a school and try to identify what isn't working for them. And if they're going to spend all this money um, and time and effort, they want it to be at a school that is meeting their, their academic and social and personal needs.
0: I'm curious, Deb, as a, as a scientist and a psychologist, I I'm, I think this next two years and the evolution, especially of students uh, transferring and what the gap year has done and all of that. I'm curious, have you noticed that there's a particular grade that is looking to transfer? And also, do you think that there are a lot of students who may have a, a disillusion about what their college is just because it's online or it's a hybrid model and that they're not getting that full college experience and they're transferring too early?
2: Yeah, I definitely think that's a factor. I mean, I would say right now my transfers are pretty evenly split between students who graduated high school last spring, and so this would have been their this is their first uh, year of college, and they've either been on campus but very limited in terms of what they've been able to do because of the pandemic and quarantine rules and all of that, or they have they're a sophomore. And they were home last spring and they may or may not be home also, you know, have been home in this fall. Um, and they're realizing that they it's just not working out for them. And I think a lot of it definitely has to do with I'd say, actually, it's not as much to do with the fact that it's online from an academic perspective, although I think that that's part of it. I think it's more the restrictions that are in place socially so that, as you said, it's not quite living up to the dream that they had in their minds, um, you know, especially where you have, you know, different schools that have taken very different approaches to how they're handling the pandemic um, in terms of COVID restrictions um, with with uh, their rules and um, some students feel like they're able to get what they need. And um, many are feeling like they're just, it's not working out. Absolutely. So what
1: are some students, I guess, what are some questions students should be asking themselves to consider whether or not a transfer is the next right step for them?
2: I think that, you know, I think that students have to determine, um, have they really given it a chance? Um, I think that that's a big piece of it. You know, um, what am I moving toward? Not just what am I moving away from, but what am I moving towards? It can't just be like I, I'm. Um, you know, I I like to use the expression A B X. Is it anything but X? Or is it you know that they're specifically looking to get something that they're not getting at their current institution? I think when students look to transfer after just a semester, um, the most common time students consider transfer in a typical year is right at Thanksgiving break. Um, it's oftentimes because they haven't found the social connections that they're seeking. I would say the vast majority of the time, it's the social stuff that that's going on. And they don't think about the fact that for most of them, they were with the same kids for four years in high school and for many of them they were with the same kids since kindergarten so i think that that's you know a huge piece of it as well um and they they expect that everything's going to be instantaneously amazing and that the it doesn't you know they're not acknowledging the amount of time that's required to make it work so i think that um they should be thinking about what am i moving towards they should be um, thinking about, have I really given my school all I, you know, all I can to see if I can make it work? Because sometimes it's just a matter of taking a step back and giving it a little more time and um, and maybe going home for winter break, reconnecting with friends and realizing other people are struggling as well. Um, and it's not just what they're seeing on social media pages um, that, you know, who's going to put, put forth their, you know, bleary eyed, crying in a puddle did poorly on my first exam and there are only two of them for the whole semester pictures. That's not what's going up on Insta. So, um, so I think they should be looking at that. Um, I think they need to assess whether or not their plan is realistic. Um, so if a student wants to transfer, they need to consider whether if they're trying to let's say level up, then has anything really changed between when they first submitted applications as a senior and, and now, if they're trying to transfer for um, for fall of sophomore year, then oftentimes they'll only have had one semester and maybe a few weeks under their belts. So unless they did something significantly different, you know, the colleges may not have a whole lot more to go on. So in that case, it might be better to wait to transfer down the road, you know, transfer in as a junior, for example. And We can talk more about the details of that, you know, one versus the other a bit later. Um, but um, they need to understand, is their plan realistic? And have they looked at what the requirements are for the different schools that they're targeting, whether those schools admit with regard to a specific major or college within the school, um, whether or not the curriculum that they're taking so far at their college is going to allow them to move into um, the particular majors they want. Like if you are going in as a business major or an engineering major or something and admitted by major, you might need to have certain classes. And if you don't have those, you're just not going to be admissible, you know, and also, um, had, had they done well enough in their current college that the school they're looking to transfer to is confident they can be successful because, you know, I, I have students a lot, uh, frequently who will say well you know I I just didn't have the opportunity to reach my full potential but now I'm ready but their GPA from their first semester of college indicates they're absolutely not ready, not ready. <laughs> <laughs> or you know what what oftentimes will happen is that they're so miserable socially that they can't perform academically and then they mm-hmm. get themselves in a hole I mean years ago I had a student at a you know um, that had had a very successful high school experience and went off to a pretty competitive, um, you know, four-year institution, and um, and the first night she was there, the people that she was sharing a suite with threw up all over the bathroom, and um, and that was the beginning. Welcome to college, <laughs> and it just went downhill from there, and you know, so I I think that that it's a big challenge to look at you know, what am I, am I keeping everything in line so that I'm at least able to show that I can do the work? Because that makes a huge difference as, as they're looking to transfer.
0: Yeah. I I don't know about you, Deb, but when I talk to a student, um, especially when they start contemplating, you know, should I transfer or not? Mm -hmm. There are so many similarities between marriage counseling. And it's like, okay, you're in the honeymoon period. Now you've found out that life is real and Mm -hmm. sometimes it gets hard and yes, sometimes it's not pretty. Are you going to buck up? Are you going to look at this situation as something you have control over and try to make things work? Or are you going to cut and run? And there it's just kind of like, I'm always worried about a student who wants to transfer right off the bat as setting up kind of a behavior of, am I going to be able to work through this and be an adult because those things transfer to many other types of situations.
2: Totally. Yeah, no that's definitely true. And and so I really do push students to reflect and to see what it, what are they, you know, what have they tried already. Um and I've had I had a student a couple of years ago who was sure like I heard from the parents in October he was really miserable. They were going down to see how he was doing and he ended up by the time he went back after Christmas break, he got into a frat, He and he figured it out, and it and he's doing great there. Um, you know, I've had other students, and it's it's amazing how frequently it's related to Greek life. Like, can't even mm-hmm. begin to tell you. I had so many students, and I won't name the schools, but I had so many students who were at, I had four guys who were at one particular liberal arts college where Greek life is very much the center of the universe and um, either didn't get into a frat at all or didn't get into the frat they wanted to and wanted out because of the way that it was socially stratified. Not every school is, but some of them are. I had two more guys at a different school, um, more of a mid-sized university, also didn't get into the frat they wanted to. And both of them transferred to um, another similar size school in that 10 to 15,000 range had no problem getting into the frat they wanted to down there. And it was a school that neither of them could have gotten into as a high school senior, but they were both able to get into as a transfer student because that particular school is not as difficult as a transfer student.
0: Right. Mm. I'm curious as a psychologist, I have to ask you, you mentioned fraternities. Now, do you find as many, uh, many, as many women transfer for sorority issues as, as,
2: I mean, I'm dealing with one right now, one student right now who has talked about the fact that, um, you know, sorority life is a big factor at her small liberal arts college. Um, and so that's been a factor. I do know people, who, like, I haven't had a lot of women who have chosen to transfer, but I know colleagues who have um, because they didn't get in, you know, colleagues whose who students have because they didn't get into the sororities they wanted to. So it's definitely a factor. But I feel like, it's more of a factor for the guys in the sense that women can always get into a frat party. It's just kind of the way it is. <laughs> and whereas the guys, if, they, if they're not part of a frat, you can't, depending on the school, you may not be able to go to the parties. And if that's something uh, that you're seeking, that can be a factor.
0: I had not thought of that. <laughs>
1: Interesting. Yeah, I've never had that happen before. For me, it's always been the student is in a, very, a more remote location. And so without anything to do... Um, and they are not drinkers or partiers, yep. then they are incredibly unhappy. Um, yep. Or students who chose schools based on rank instead of fit.
2: Don't even get me started there. I, I have a, a client who works for one of the ranking magazines, and he disclosed that the first time we met. And I'm like, oh, spirit of full disclosure, I put no stock in your magazine, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> so, you know, And now what I've started doing um, is one of the tools that I use when I have students research is College uh, Prowler, which is now Niche. And, Mm -hmm. um, And if you go in and scroll down on a given school, it will tell you it's ranked as something. Number three business school in the country, number 20 best whatever school in the country. So if you click on it and you open it and you click where it says read more about how this ranking was determined it's fascinating. And I point that out to students. I'm like, okay, so 30% of how good a business program this is, was based on the percentage of students that are business students as compared to the overall percentage of students at the school.
0: Yep. Well, how what does that, does that
2: have to do with anything? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, or um, it'll be the self-reported number of students who say that you know, blah, blah of niche users that say blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a great resource, but you have to put it in context and you have to understand that the only reason that the rankings exist is to sell magazines or sell whatever product, you know? Um, and so it's the, the key thing. And as students are looking to transfer, this is really important. And as you're applying as a freshman is, you know, does the school teach me whatever I want to learn in a way that I can learn it effectively? because you could be the best, you know, math program in the country. But if you're the kid who needs to raise their hand and ask a question as when you have it and are not a great note taker in terms of sitting there and, you know, just taking notes for an hour, which was I was terrible at that. And I tell my students that all the time, then then a big giant school where you're just going to be lectured at for an hour is not going to be the right fit for you. And so it's so important to find that match from the perspective of um, the the academic. How do you want to show your knowledge? Do you want teachers who are going to know who you are? Like I went to a big school where the lecture classes were anywhere from 150 to 1,000 for some of the intro courses. And I did not have the confidence to walk into my professor's office and say, hi, um, I'm in your Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 905 class, and I have no idea what you talked about after the first five minutes, because (laughs) I'm sure they'd say, oh, you're a moron. How did you even get into our school? So that was my deal. And I know that there are students who are like that, whereas my daughter attends Mm -hmm. the same school and she has no issue teaching herself. Different, different kids. And so you have to know who am I as a learner. And hopefully in the time that you've been at your first institution and you're looking to transfer, you figured out which parts of the academic piece were working for you and which weren't, you know, um, some, yeah.
0: I'm totally going to appropriate one of your your, your questions. It's how do you want to show your understanding and what you know? And that is such a, there is so much to that question. If a student can authentically answer it, it will set them up. That's a beautiful question.
2: Thank you. Yeah, no, I think it's it's really important, and I think enough kids don't learn and don't have enough insight to understand it because they've maybe only been asked to do things a certain way in high school. Never and sure, they had some, you know, yeah. choose and lose or multiple guest tests, um, or they had some papers, but it was usually a combination within the same class. And in college, it's not, you know, in my in my institution for the big intro classes, you had a you had a prelim, one or two prelims, midterms. And a final. And that was it. And it was choose and lose. And I did not choose well because I was not that brain didn't work for me. I was not a good memorizer. You know, when I got to the point where I could ask questions when I had them, where it was discussion based classes, where it was, um, you know, where I could write papers um, or even essay tests. I did much better, you know, but it took a while to get there.
0: I'm, I'm curious. When you are working with students who are looking to transfer, you get to hear a lot of the stories that s- students either didn't do their homework or they did mm-hmm. were asking the wrong questions. Yeah. So from your perspective, if you take if you backwards engineer that,
2: mm-hmm.
0: what are the questions? If you, if you were to say there were one or two questions that students don't usually ask themselves that would set them up for success in picking the right school to start with. Yeah that they're not asking themselves.
2: I think I think definitely, you know, how how do I like to show my knowledge is is a key thing. And how assertive am I? You know, I Mm. a lot of times um, I work with students at all ends of the academic ability levels and and you know social abilities and you know anxiety or learning issues or whatever it might be.
0: So one of the things I'm curious about, you have the perspective of working with a lot of students who haven't asked the right questions. So from where you're standing, if we backwards engineer and say, what are the questions that students need to ask to make sure that they pick the right schools? If you were to identify one or two questions before they attend their second rodeo, what are the things that they really need to ask?
2: They really need to ask, how, how assertive am I? you know, am I going to be comf- comfortable and confident going to talk to a professor? And if I'm not, and I haven't been comfortable or confident going to talk to my high school teachers, and now I've been in my first institution and I haven't done that either, maybe I need a smaller place in order to be successful. Um, so I think that really having an honest conversation about how how can I learn effectively is, is really important. Um, and I think That they have to do their due diligence in terms of if it's a social issue, what's what part of the, you know, the social scene worked for me and what didn't. And if I'm really honest about, you know, about this with myself, what do I want to be doing on a weekend? And is that going to be available to me? Um, I have a lot of students who will tell me when they're applying to schools, whether as a freshman applicant or a transfer, I need to be in the city. I'm like, really, do you? Why do we need to be in a city? It eliminates a lot of schools when we're not in a city, um, or yeah. you know, immediate access to a city. And they're like, well, I want to be able to go do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what stuff? I don't know. I want to go to shows. I want to go to concerts. I want to go to restaurants and shops. I'm like, oh, okay, because every college will have performances, whether they're bringing on guests you know, performers, or they're having shows and dances, you know, dance performances and uh, plays and whatnot put on at the school, acapella performances, like all of that stuff is stuff you can find at your, you know, at any, almost any institution. Coffee shops, yes, there are certain places where you walk outside the gates of the school and there is nothing. <laughs> but if there are, you know, a bunch of places on campus, and there's a little college town, so you go to Starbucks every day, like it's not any different than you'd pick a different. If you're in New York City, you'll just go to a different Starbucks every day, um, you know. So I think that students have to be honest with themselves about what are they real, as opposed to the 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 idealized version of what it's supposed to all look like. They have to think about what am I actually going to do on a weekend that I can't do in my current institution, um, and that I'm see, you know, that I'm moving towards finding. Um, and I think also. You know, what are the kinds of people that I want to surround myself with? Um, I'm starting to work with a family now where the young man is at a, at a school where he just doesn't feel like the kids are um, as intellectually motivated as he is. Um, and they're, um, you know, he wants to, he's a little more philosophical and he's not finding that at the school that he's at right now. So he wants to go to a place where, regardless of whether it's more difficult to get into or not, it's more about, well, are the kinds of students I'm going to surround myself with, um, are they going to be students who are intellectually curious? Are they going to be students, um, you know, I had a student transfer a couple of years ago, and he went to a a pretty competitive um, school to start with, and he said, well, you know, the frat party is all anybody's talking about all week long, and I kind of want to sit around and talk about poetry and talk about, you know, and it was a work hard, play hard kind of school with high achieving students, but intellectually it wasn't what he was seeking. Yeah. So, you know, so then we looked for schools that were a little more intellectually driven, um, even on the weekends. Have
0: any of you three, have any of you had uh, a student who's, who's asked, I really want to go to a rural college? I'm, I've never had that.
2: No. no <laughs> Everybody
0: no wants, wants to go to a city, no. like you say. Right. They they have this romanticized idea of what a city's I going I
1: don't to typically be. have that but but the, the interest I have had students who choose Williams which is pretty rural.
2: Yes. So. Having lived in Pittsfield I can tell you Williams is even more rural oh. <laughs> than Yeah, I, my brother
1: graduated from Williams. So it doesn't, you know, I don't know that they say like I want to go somewhere rural but they do get to Williams because of other things that they're looking for.
2: Right. And I think that they, you know, if you look at the retention rates of these rural schools, the vast majority of them are in the mid to upper nineties. So they're clearly doing a lot right in terms of the social scene that the students who choose them, you know, are seeking. Yep. Um you like know. you said, there's still so much to do on campus, right?
1: Like whether there's performances, there's usually student run coffee shops sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. they're still gonna find that experience even without a city potentially.
0: Yeah, no, for this year,
2: except for this year. And that's been Uh, the challenge. I mean, I am working with a transfer student and the the college that she attends has some pretty strict rules about COVID. My own middle daughter took the year off. She was going to be a senior and she said, I'm not doing senior year this way. Good
0: for and her. so
2: she she took the year off, stayed up in, you know, stayed up at her school and lived with her 13 people in the off campus house that they have and has been doing, you know, her research job and able to do that for the year um, and still maintain social ties. So I think that, you know, for some students, that's been a thing, too, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and deciding whether or not um, to take if you're going to transfer to take time off in between transferring. You know, I have one student I'm working with now who is going to take a gap year and kind of regroup and figure out. Um, I have another student who took a gap semester um, to just kind of focus in on um, doing, you know, figuring things out, working a little bit, saving some money. Yep. Um, you know, that can definitely be a thing. Um, and, um, uh, and also, I have a student who started out um, at a college and realized very quickly that this was not her crowd of people like um and so she ended up coming home and i've had a lot of students do this too and i recommend that it's a perfectly acceptable opportunity is to come home and go to community college for a semester Say, why spend $35,000 if at a place that you know you're not staying at um you know for tuition and room and board or or to be online when you know you're transferring, paying the online tuition, when you could just do it at your local community college.
1: You bring up a great point and, you know, talking transitioning into the application part, right? Mm. What should, I guess, students be doing or expect when it comes to the actual application process?
2: So, yeah, so a couple of things. So number one is that it's super, super, super important. can't, Can't emphasize it enough that the students' grades are strong at the college they're at. Um, because, you know, while they will look at various transfer requirements and it might say a minimum of a 2.0 GPA is required, that is absolutely not competitive (laughs) at most of these
1: colleges.
2: (laughs) So they really need to have, you know, be putting in the effort to have, um, if possible, at least as strong as their grades were in high school or, you know, something respectable for considering the rigor of the college that they're at. Um, So that's number one. Um, Um, if they are at community college, um, they need to, they should try to get into Phi Theta Kappa, which is like the National Honor Society of Community Colleges, because a lot of, um, except for the uber selective ones, a lot of selective and and highly, you know, reasonably highly selective schools will have a PTK scholarship. And for families, particularly that, um, where a school doesn't meet full need, um, or a families in what I call the sour spot don't have $70,000 a year no. to spend on college and are not going to qualify for need-based aid. Transfer students don't get as much money, hmm. whether merit or need-based. But PTK, many schools will have a PTK scholarship, ranging from $1,000 or so up to, University of Rochester offers, I think, $10,000 for or up to $10,000 for a PTK scholarship. So that can be a nice you know, thing, but they have to get into the honor side, which is typically, you know, make Dean's list be like a three, five or better, you know, so that's definitely one thing. Um, They need to keep in mind that they're going to need to submit recommendation letters. So they should identify professors early on that might serve that need for them. Um, And with the transfer applications, they can submit academic, but um, the Common App will also allow them to submit professional or personal recommendations for certain schools. All right. Mm -hmm. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, Another thing to keep in mind is that they should be taking classes that are not too specific into a major. Because the colleges, if you're a business major, you know they don't want you to take all your accounting classes at your first school. they want you to take them at your graduating institution. So um, in order to have the maximum amount of credits transfer, try to find things that they pretty much offer everywhere so that you can transfer um, transfer those uh, items in. Um, they also need to be aware that the transfer timeline is different. So if you're applying for spring transfer, um, and most, like the highly selective schools will not accept spring transfers for freshman year. Like that just is not a thing. Um, But like I had a student years ago who had gone to um, a small liberal arts college as an athletic recruit and realized very quickly that he didn't want to be playing that spring sport um, because he had to be in the gym four mornings a week at 5.00 AM in September um, that he wanted to transfer. And um, he ended up at Ohio State, but he had also applied to Syracuse. They would take second-semester, first-year transfers. Most of the other, you know, more selective schools won't. So they need to know that for a spring transfer, the timeline is October 1st to November 1st. For fall transfer, it's going to be anywhere from February 1st to April 15th, a couple outliers a little bit later than that. The other thing they need to know is that colleges will often – Uh, notify on a rolling deadline and you may need to put a deposit down someplace before you hear from all the schools. It's not like, and that's something that I've been complaining about for years that I wish NACAC could step in and do something about. Like I get that they have to craft their class, but it's a lot to ask students, you know, when you have a school that goes on a rolling basis and notifies you March 1st, and then you have another school and you're not going to hear from them until May 15th, and the deposit deadline is still May first for that other school, you yeah, know. So, does,
0: does that mean that if they're applying to say like more than one school, if they're thinking that they're you're going to transfer and they're you know hedging their bet at a couple? Yeah, yeah, of- you should
2: have more than one
0: for do, sure. Do, do they have to put in a deposit at each one of those?
2: Um. My recommendation would be that they choose between the acceptances they have at the time and put one deposit down. And if you have an outlier, I view it as being waitlisted. So it's like being waitlisted. Like there's going to be summer melt because they don't have any control over when they're going to hear from that other school. And I wouldn't want to hedge my bet and say, oh, I'm not going to put down a deposit here because you you don't know how that's going to play out. And it's usually the most selective schools that had the latest notification dates,
0: Hmm.
2: you know, so
0: for the school that you're in. Mm -hmm. um, you're currently attending and you know, you're going to transfer and you're putting ducks in a row. Are there things that you need to make sure you do or have a conversation with somebody at the school you are attending to make sure that you're not either. I don't want to say burning a bridge, but no, but things in order.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, kids are concerned about burning a bridge. And they're concerned that there's going to be retaliation and that they're going to be angry that they're leaving, especially if they're on a sports team. Um, So that stuff can come into play. Um, I would say that, you know, try to find your talk to your academic advisor, like colleges, colleges are run by people, they understand that it's not always a good fit. And they don't want someone there who's unhappy even if they're they're getting the the fees and the tuition and all that stuff they don't want somebody there who's miserable who's going to be going out and telling somebody how miserable they are there that doesn't serve their purpose so I think that the students need to find people because they will need to get uh, there's a college report form that they have to get that says they're in good academic and social standing at the school and would be eligible to return um they need to get transcripts they would need to get the recommendation letters like I said um uh, they will need a mid semester report for a lot of schools, which, um, you get, uh, what used to happen is it was totally old school. You would print out the form, take it around, have your professors sign it. Wow. This yeah. is the course I'm in. This is what I'm taking. This is my current grade. And then you would photocopy it and mail it into all the colleges. Now everything, so many schools are online that you can't do that. So what I'm recommending students do is that they print out the, they, uh, they, they, email the form to the professors, to each professor separately, and have the professor Mm. fill it out, scan it, send it back to them, and then they put it all together in one PDF and submit it. Uh. Now, the silly thing is that the Common App still tells them to waive their right to see it. And I'm like, okay, but they can't. Even old school, (laughs) they couldn't have. And I was on a webinar the other day with a a very selective liberal arts college who said, we're not worried about waiving anything. We just are going to be excited to get any kind of grades from this semester at all. Yeah. So, you know, so um, so they have to be aware of that. And then the other thing that is hugely important is that the common app for transfers is the most uncommon app possible. Um, and I'm actually working with someone to see if we can make some inroads in helping to fix that, because there are so many of us working with transfer students. And it's very frustrating because different schools want different essays. They don't even have the same personal statement. Some of them have a personal statement that they'll just say, upload a personal statement. Others will say, explain your reasons for transferring and what you hope to get out of our institution. Others will have that, but then it will also have what is the current seven prompts for the freshman common application. And you have to do both of those. Oh, okay. and, And they're different lengths. So some are an upload, some are 32 and it's always characters on the common app for transfers. Um, So some will have 3,250 characters, some will have 15 characters for the same prompt for different schools. So there's nothing common about it and you need a spreadsheet to map it all out and keep track of it. and um, and the other thing is that schools that take the common app for freshmen may not take it for transfers. So you just have to be aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's still co- some of them will take it like Maryland is now on the common app for freshmen, but they only take the coalition for transfers. and then so, I did figure out this the hard way
1: after a student already submitted something that the common app transfer application locks the field. yes, so you so can't. You that's another thing. Fake, yes.
2: On yep. that first application, you can't yep. go back and fix it. Correct. You can add, but you can't change. And that makes no Correct. sense either. Um, and it's also not intuitive. It's broken down into these different sections. Um, and it just, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that, um, and and because with my job as the transfer admissions advisor for the Captain Leadership Program, you know, we're working with students without, if they didn't have us, they wouldn't have somebody sitting there explaining this. So for an under-resourced, you know, low-income student that doesn't have someone to guide them through the process, it's really, totally it's yeah. totally blind and you don't know how to navigate it. You, you just, you know, it's really, really difficult. So I think that that's something that, that as, as a counseling community, you know, NACAC, IECA, whatever, that like need to advocate to improve, this situation, um, particularly as it impacts low-income students who don't have someone necessarily to guide them through this process.
0: Anna, you had a really good question about essays, and I think it ties in right with this, and that was when, when a student is thinking about transferring and they're having all of these essays that are coming at them from right and left, can they or should they or should they even contemplate recycling the essays that they used to get in, in the first place?
2: Mostly No. The only place where that could be, I would say, an possibly appropriate situation is if it's an extracurricular activity essay. Or if it's something that really, you know, wouldn't have changed if they're talking about, you know, being involved in their sport or being involved in, you know, music or whatever it might be. But my my hope and belief would be that a student should have grown between when they submitted their applications in January at the latest of senior year and by the time that they're applying you know, 10 to 24 months later. Um, So they really shouldn't, they, I usually have students if they have access to them and kept a copy, I do have them show me because Mm -hmm. I think it gives a good foundation for the student. And I, there are pieces that may be part of who they are that can be used in some way, um, even if it's just the concept of it. Yeah. But really, if you're doing a personal statement type essay, it should be about your journey. How did you find yourself at this institution? What was good about this institution? That's another big no-no, is you do not trash your current institution.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that I you brought that up. I cannot tell
2: you how many students on a first draft of an essay will write about how terrible their school is because of this and this and this and how they need to get out. Right and I'm like, no, 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 mm <laughs> you cannot do that. So we need to, you know, you need to figure out a way to craft that so that it's, here's what I got out of it. And here's what I'm moving towards, you know? Um, and this is what I'm seeking. And and it did this and this for me really, really well, but I'm hoping now to have a more diverse experience in this way or that way.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm curious. Uh, one of the things that, uh, and you you mentioned maturity and I, I mean, as a developmental psychologist, the ages between 16 and 20, are a hockey stick of maturation for most. most, most
2: I'd say 24. Years. My oldest is 24, yeah. so I think the maturation process extends the emerging adulthood. Goes, or
0: maybe as a male, um, 50. Yeah. And um, <laughs> So, with that in mind, um, are, when you're transferring to another school, is one of the things that you really want to highlight is I am I have matured over this last year in ways that I had not expected X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And basically show that I am more college ready than I've ever been. And this is the reason why I need to transfer.
2: If, for the, I, yes, they certainly can if it's a situation where where they're leveling up or where they're where they just didn't reach their full potential in high school and therefore they didn't have the opportunities that they wanted. Um, that's certainly something that they could talk about. But I do have also a lot of students that, you know were very strong students and because of the level of competitiveness to get into some of the uber elites or the more elite schools they just they didn't get in through no you know nothing they did wrong it was just you know supply and demand so for those students it can sometimes be harder because some of the elite schools are like yeah we're not all that interested in someone who just didn't make it the first time out of the gate (laughs) you know and um i was i was looking at um uh a guidebook that um, that we put out, that my boss put out at, at um, through the Kaplan Educational Foundation about transfer, and um, and it lists the percentage of transfer students accepted, and I can't remember. I I, I want to say it was Stanford, but I can't remember. Was like point eight. I think Harvard was seven percent. Stanford was like two point three percent. You know, and so. It, when you look at those numbers, it's like, wow, okay, um, should I even bother? And I think that's why just like when we're advising freshman applicants, they need to have a range of schools. You don't need as many schools. And typically, I don't recommend that students apply to as many schools for transfer. But you should have a range of schools on that list as well. Um, I think that's really important. And for, for the other piece of it, for community college students in particular, or families who can't pay full freight, um, understanding about the financial aid piece, um, as I mentioned earlier, is that um, there's not as much money a- available for transfer students and colleges that are need blind for freshman applicants are not necessarily need blind. They are resource aware for a lot of transfers and they will not guarantee and na- some of them will guarantee to meet need, but be need aware. Um, and others still don't meet need. So again, I think that's some something that we need to do better, or that not we we need to do better in terms of advocating for those those policies to change. Um, and not you know because when when you do that, in essence, you're really discriminating discriminating against the low income student because they can't apply. They don't necessarily have the the knowledge base or somebody pushing them or encouraging them to apply to more elite schools so, or, or they have family obligations or they don't understand how the finances work. And so they go to a two-year school and then they can't get into a school that's gonna meet their full need. Yeah. And that's super frustrating to see.
0: The, 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 the transfer process in, in highlighting some of these issues, the transfer process for a student that is underrepresented or socioeconomically challenged this is a horrible situation. I mean, they, they are they are so both hands tied behind their back on even just getting uh, exposed to what they need to know to be able to do it correctly um, requires resources. And if you don't have those, that can be flying blind.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. And especially if you are... Um, if you did high school in a foreign country, because a lot Mm -hmm. of like my my capital scholars, a lot of them were educated abroad for high school. And, you know, maybe they came to the U.S. with one copy of their high school transcript. And that's all they have. And they cannot, especially in a pandemic, they cannot get it. So they've got us advocating for, hey, you know, could you take a verified copy, whatever. If they don't have a program Mm -hmm. where somebody is saying, hey, would you do this you know, going in and trying to get the community college to advocate for them at a four-year school—that's not realistic. There, there needs to be more resources. For sure. You know, that's terribly sad. So, what would you say are like some? So, because
1: not everyone gets one of you, right, Deb, sure. or Absolutely. like gets a Kaplan. What are some resources that you think are available that students could utilize?
2: So, I know, and I know you're in New Jersey as am, as Mi, and New Jersey has something called NJTransfer.org um and that it, and there may be similar things in other states where you it tells you if you're starting out in this college with a, a community college within the state and you want to transfer to another school within the state or other places where they might have an articulation agreement outside the state here's here's what you need to be taking if you want to graduate with a degree in x from that other school so you know that would definitely be one resource um i would recommend i'll give a shameless plug you know Uh, Kaplan Educational Foundation has put out the 2020s waiting to be published but your guide to college transfer Mm -hmm. and that has a list of um, like 100 and something schools and it gives everything from their transfer admissions policy. Um, whether or not you need standardized tests um, for transfer, because a lot of schools will not require it even beyond a pandemic for transfers. Um, it will tell you the cost. It will tell you the average financial aid award for all students. Again, you have to know to read that with a grain of salt too, because, you know, it's the need base versus merit versus, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, whether they have the other piece is we didn't talk at all about non-traditional students. So, non-traditional students over the age of 23 or veterans or um, students who are parents themselves are automatically considered non-traditional students and so some schools will have special programs available for um, non-traditional students so that's those are definitely things um, that would be important for transfer students to consider
0: I didn't know that that uh, a student with kids is considered a non-traditional parent yeah I'll be darned. I had no idea.
2: Yeah, and there are there are some schools that have great programs for that. So they, they typically typically end up being the women's colleges, but not always. So um, so uh, Smith and um, Mount Holyoke and um, Wellesley College all have specific programs for non traditional um, age uh, students. Ob- obviously, they're all women's schools, but Tufts has a program as well that is more of a um, program where local adult students will go. It's not really residential. They they don't include housing with it. Um, Brown has the RU program, resumed undergraduate education. And Brown will let you, if you make it into RU, Brown will let you start over and you can do all four years over again if you want to. Oh, Um, from the beginning. From the beginning. um, And if you qualify for financial aid, it's free, free ride, no loans, you know, if you, if you qualify for that. And then um, Yale has the Eli Whitney program, also allows you to start over. Um, and there's a non-traditional program at Cornell, which I should note it's my alma mater, and I can't remember what the name of it is. It's a relatively new program. So. Do,
0: do many of the institutions and colleges and universities, do they have a lot of them? Do they have those types of programs? What, it's not a,
2: It's not point? a ton. Um, but there are a handful and you have to look and see what kinds of tr- uh, what kinds of supports they would have for non-traditional students. Um, some of them will offer housing. Some of them will allow non-traditional age students to live in graduate housing. Um, uh, some of them will have, if you're a, a mom, you know, some of them might have daycare opportunities for you. Um, some of them will have, uh, veterans services, um, because a veteran is automatically considered a non-traditional student as well. Um, so, yeah.
0: So one of the things that I know a number of students uh, have been blindsided by, and I think this next year is going to be some of that as well, and that's the community college situation where a student thinks, okay, I'm going to go to community college in a gap year because I don't want to do this during the pandemic. I'm not going to dive into college. Right. So they take community college credits and they get X number of credits and they think that they're just going to be able to apply as a regular student but now they've got too many credits and have to apply as a transfer student. Is there some rule of thumb or something that you would recommend to students who are looking at it that way?
2: Right, so so a couple of things. So if you're a high school student who's been taking dual enrollment classes, even if you accrue a whole bunch of credits but you're doing it in high school and the classes are taught at your high school, you're usually not considered a transfer student regardless of the number of credits that you have. You might be given advanced standing but you're not considered a transfer. However, if you enroll in a community college or any college, then typically you will be considered a transfer. But again, whether that is the case depends on what college you're applying to. So some colleges, if you have under 30 credits, you apply as a freshman, period. Mm -hmm. Other schools, if you have matriculated anywhere, you apply as a transfer, period. So it really can vary. And so if students are planning to do that, then as you talked about before, you have to work your way backwards. you have to look at the colleges that you might be targeting and look at their transfer policies and determine, okay, if I enroll here this college is actually going to consider me a transfer student yep. which may or may not be so terrible. Um, sometimes it's easier to get in as a transfer student and sometimes not as we talked about but, um, So if I transfer in, well, maybe I'd still have I'd still have three years there. I could still always take a fourth year. You know, if I just take 12 credits every semester instead of, you know, 15 credits or what have you, depends on the family, you know, financial financial situation. Um, But there's not one rule, unfortunately.
0: So that ceiling of credits is is determined by each school.
2: Yeah, it's determined by each school as to whether or not they would be considered a transfer student, Um, and it's not even necessarily the credits. It might just be that they enrolled somewhere, therefore they're automatically a transfer. What I can say, though, is that every school that you transfer to will require that you complete two years on their Campus with you know in terms of credit. So if if it's 120 credits to graduate from that college, 60 of them have to be done at that college. Um, You know, and it depends. So um, like my son, um, my oldest son uh, graduated from Syracuse, and he was in a dual degree program. So his two because it was two different degrees, not just a double major. He needed 148 credits to graduate. So had he transferred in and tried to do that he probably would have had to have completed 88 credits there instead of just 60, you know? Um, Yeah.
0: And you, you talked about, and we identified some of the things that students should do while they're, and you mentioned grades are number one, keep your grades as high as possible. Yeah. Um, Are there other things that you would, you recommend students who are contemplating, okay, I think I'm going to need to transfer as I'm contemplating and looking for schools. Are there things that they should do, not just academically, but much like we, when we counsel high school students, we say, yeah. you know, these extracurricular activities provide colleges with this information and evidence of your maturation and college readiness? So, yeah. are there things that you would suggest that students do while they're preparing to transfer and in college?
2: Yeah, I think that that's probably the biggest issue that I see with students is they're not getting involved um and i know that particularly if you're at certain community colleges it may be more difficult to get involved but i work with community college transfers all the time there are opportunities there if you choose to take them so um and if you are um whether you're at a two-year school or a four-year school call uh, and and looking to transfer to a four-year school obviously the colleges want to know that you're going to be a contributing member of campus. So um, they, it doesn't matter what the, it's not one thing that's going to be better than another, but they want to see that you're involved and engaged with the campus, potentially pursuing something either in a major interest or get, even if you have a part-time job, even if you're not doing stuff on campus, having a part-time job off campus is really valuable. It shows colleges that you are, Um, you know, responsible, you're able to deal with different kinds of people, you're able to be on a schedule, and it shows a certain level of maturity simply by the fact that you've held a job. So, I don't want anyone to underestimate, you know, that value, particularly in the situation we're now in a pandemic where, you know, if you have students, um, particularly those that are lower-income students that need to work to help support their families, that has to be a piece of the puzzle, too, and the colleges understand and will regard that as, um, you know, in many ways, more valuable than simply joining a club that meets once a month for an hour. You know, when you're working 20 hours a week, I have students who are, you know, who are working full time and going to school full time and may have family responsibilities on top of that.
0: Very good. Thanks for listening to College Admissions with Mark and Anna, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each time we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.collegeadmissionspodcast.com.